0: Thank you, everyone, and good morning. Good to see you all. I'm Mike, one of the ministers here. I'll be speaking on those passages in a moment, but let's just bow our heads and pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Father, when heaven, you're so good to us, you're sovereign, you're great, you're mighty, but you're also full of mercy and love, a patient kind, and you incline your ear to us and listen to our lisping prayers. So we pray now that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and speak to us here so that Jesus Christ, your Son, would be made much of and so that we would be inflamed with love for him and for the world around. For his glory and for our good, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we all know about the Titanic. When it entered service, it was the largest passenger ship that the world had ever seen. Uh, It was nearly 900 feet long. For those of you who work in New Money, that's 269 meters. Its main anchor was so large that it took a team of 20 horses to carry it. The ship burned over 600 tons of coal every day, and it ejected 100 tons of ash into the ocean, hand-shoveled, into the furnaces by a team of 176 men shoveling coal. Uh, It had in its stocks 20,000 bottles of beer, only for first-class passengers, you understand. The Titanic was thought to be unsinkable, yet, as we all know, it hit an iceberg and down it went, and more than 1,500 people died. But, did you know that hundreds more could have been saved? Hundreds more could have been saved. There are at least four reasons why so many of them died. One, they did not believe that they were in real danger until it was too late. Two, there was a locked gate separating the second and third class sections of the boat, and that prevented the escape of many of the third class ticket holders. Three it didn't have enough lifeboats. Partly so that the look of the boat would be great from the outside, the company that built it decided that they would have only 20 lifeboats, and those 20 could only accommodate just shy of 1,200 people, whereas in fact there were more than 2,200 on board. Fourthly, and perhaps most tragically, those who were in the lifeboats let them go out to sea partly empty, and stayed out in a ring around the area where the ship was going down until the screams of the people drowning had stopped. Why didn't they go back to rescue more? It was because they were afraid that too many would come in and that they would drown themselves. So because of their fear, many more died. Now at Grace Church, we're thinking at the start of this year about what kind of church we want to be. And our main idea today is that we want to be a lifeboat, a lifeboat. We're thinking about this, uh, what do we want to be as a church? We've been thinking about six uh, key priorities, and this is the one for today, that we want to be a, a lifeboat, that is, a community on mission. I want to remind you very simply that the Bible teaches that we are all, by nature and by our constant actions and habits, in grave danger just like those people on the Titanic. In the sight of a holy God, you and I are sinful and wicked people, and we're guilty, and we need to be forgiven. In the sight of a loving God, we're terribly lost, and we need to be found. That's what Jesus came for. We're underneath the anger and the wrath of God, the Bible says, and we need salvation, we need to be rescued. And God in his love has sent a man to rescue us. His name is Jesus, his title is Christ, which means God's special king. And by his death on the cross, Jesus Christ made salvation, made forgiveness for the sins of many millions of people. And that salvation that he bought can only be received by faith on hearing the good news, the gospel message. And more radical still, perhaps, than any of that, is that in his wisdom, God has chosen that the main agents for taking that message that rescue into the world are ordinary people in ordinary churches. That means that the local church is the hope of the world. So what kind of church do we want to be? A lifeboat, not a cruise liner. You know that in a lifeboat, there are no passengers. Everybody on board has a role. How many people do you think are in the crew of this boat? Have a guess. Six. Who said that? Andrew, six people, six people take this boat into the most furious storms to save as many as they can, and they pull as many as they can onto the boat. How many of those six are just going along for the ride? How many of those six are sitting on board deck drinking cocktails? You know the answer. So our vision is that we want to be a church that's like a boat that's on mission, not like this boat. This boat has many more than six people. Uh, But most of the people on it are just along for the ride. They turn up when it suits them. They eat what they want, drink what they want, watch the entertainment. Then they go and have a nap or sit by the pool. Now, there are many people working hard on on a cruise liner, entertaining, preparing food, cleaning, setting up, steering the ship, washing the dishes, making sure the guests are happy. But there are many, many passengers on such a ship, sitting in the deck chairs, sipping cocktails, being served. The difference between these two crafts is that on one, most of the people are passengers and they're there for themselves, and on the other, everyone is a rescuer. They're on mission. Grace Church must be a lifeboat because our city is full of lost people who are desperately in need of the salvation, the rescue that only Jesus brings. But I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, that's all very well, but what does it mean for me? because I'm not a very bold person. I'm not like Pete, that guy with the check shirt who stood up. He's really bold, you know. He's courageous. He's the guy with all the answers. You can put him into any room, into any social situation, whether it's with the locker room guys at Manchester City or the boardrooms in the centre of town. You can throw him in there. He's like action man. He sort of lands and starts talking about Jesus. He's got all the answers. And you're thinking, I'm just not like that. I'm quite shy. I don't kick the door in and have my Bible in my hand. Or some of you are thinking, well, I've tried this. I really have tried to speak about Jesus, and it never seems to work because no one's really interested, and I don't think I'm very good at it. So maybe you've quietly given up. Or there are others who are thinking, you know, this is all very well, but you don't understand the pressure on my life. I just don't have time for more relationships, and I don't have time to talk to people about Jesus. Well, if you're thinking any of those things, I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. Because I want to show you today that there is hope for you to be on mission. And I want to show you that you're wrong. And I want us to rediscover what it looks like for us, you and me, to be on mission together with Jesus Christ. And I want to call us to recommit to that. And if we've lost sight of our missionary calling to repent and turn again. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. How are we going to do this? How are we going to figure out what it looks like to be a church that's on mission? Well, the answer is through looking at those texts that we just uh, read together, that people read out in the congregation. And those four texts are what are called the commissions of Jesus. The topic of mission was so important to Jesus Christ that he spoke about it during his very last days on earth. He lived for 33 years. He was taken to a cross, he was cruelly killed, he was buried in a tomb, he was certifiably dead. On the third day he rose again, and in the period after his resurrection, before he ascended to heaven, where he now reigns at the right hand of God, the Father, Jesus, in those last precious days, those precious hours and minutes, this was the topic that was on his mind a lot. And he spoke constantly of it. And his followers wrote down for us a number of commissions that Jesus gave during those last few days on earth. Now we all know that people's last words are among their most important. We usually write them down and we take them very seriously. We're thinking about the last words of Jesus today. These words that he spoke, they're in different places, different locations. There were different people that heard them. They're his final instructions. And they're recorded for us in Matthew In Luke, in John, and in Acts, and taken all together, these commission texts are a glorious mandate for us as a church. They speak about our identity. They speak about our role. They speak about the message we've got. And they speak about his provision for us in the mission. Now, this message today, this sermon, can be summed up in a single sentence. And here it is. We are sent with a message to all kinds of people in the power of the Spirit. We're sent with a message to all kinds of people in the power of the Spirit. Firstly, we are sent. Will you turn back to John chapter 20, please? The end of, end of John's Gospel and verse 21. It's on page 1089. Page one zero eight. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, over and over again in the Gospel of John, more than 40 times, Jesus has said that the Father, God the Father, has sent him. He keeps talking about himself as the sent one. Chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Chapter 3, verse 34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. John chapter 5, verse 36. I have testimony weightier than John, he says. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. John six twenty nine. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. John eight forty two. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Now, chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, says Jesus, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, verse 23, Jesus prayed for his followers, he prayed for us. He prayed and said, I in them and you in me, Lord, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, them, even as you have loved me. Jesus is the sent one. God sent him. To this world for us. But now at the end of chapter twenty, verse twenty-one, we read these remarkable words. Right at the end of the Gospel, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he appears to them again behind closed doors, and this is what he says. Look with me again. Uh, Chapter twenty, verse nineteen. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he'd said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, do these words only apply to those few guys who were standing there in a locked room? Or do they apply to every Christian who's been born since? Christian friends, we are sent. God has sent us to be agents of his mission in our city. So we must see ourselves not just as people who have been saved, but as people who have been sent. Now one implication of this is that we will be uncomfortable. And that will be okay. You know, when people go on, like these photos that Maxim's shown us today, wasn't that wonderful, seeing all those people? Most of those people have crossed a cultural and a, an ethnic, in some cases, and a geographic boundary and gone to a place that wasn't their home in order to take the message. Is it comfortable for them? You know that missionaries have to undergo all sorts of difficulties and hardships. Even getting two Americans to come to this country and plant a church in Chiltern has been beset with difficulties and discomfort. They have to eat things that they never would have eaten. They have to be a long way from home and family. They get all sorts of bugs and diseases that they never wanted. They have to go through the difficulty of learning language, learning another culture. They have to go through all that. They expect they're going to be embarrassed. They know that they will have to understand a whole world of different things in order to communicate and you know what, they understand that and that's fine because they know they're on a mission they've been sent and that is exactly the same for us in our city we are sent on a mission just as God sent Jesus into the world now Jesus is sending you if you're a Christian here how much discomfort was Jesus Christ prepared to undergo in order to save you so God now calls us He calls you and me to get uncomfortable for his cause, his name and his fame. Do you know that you're sent? As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Now, what does being sent look like? In at least two major ways, Jesus sends us as he was sent. Firstly, he sends us into the world. Jesus took to himself our humanity, didn't he? He took on our flesh and blood. He didn't just pretend to be one of us and kind of uh, get dressed up in a human costume, Jesus actually became one of us. He actually experienced our frailty. He experienced our suffering and our temptations. He even bore our sins. He died our death. And now, he sends us into the world to identify with other people as he identified with us, to become vulnerable, just like he did. Now, Bible-believing Christians are often quite slow to take this seriously. It comes more naturally to us to be in our bunker and enjoy our church meetings and to sort of shout the good news from a distance over the wall. We find it hard to involve ourselves deeply in other people's lives, to think ourselves into their problems, to feel their pain, to struggle along with them in life. But we are sent as Jesus was. So we should have deep, caring relationships with those who don't know him and love them. Secondly, Jesus sends us into the world to serve. for He came to serve. Jesus took two images from the Old Testament which nobody had joined together before and they looked like um, you can't fit them together. One was a, an image of great power, the Son of Man. And the other was an image of great weakness, the suffering servant from the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus talked about himself as the Son of Man And the suffering servant, even the one who was most powerful, came to serve. He said in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, "Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many." The unique thing that he did was gave his life as sacrifice for others. We can't do that. That was the climax of a great life of service. But we can be like him in other ways. To live life not to be served by others, but to serve them. So he tells us that our mission, it's not mission impossible, although it sometimes looks like it, like his must be one of service. If we truly love our fellow men and women, we will serve them. We are sent. But secondly, we're not just sent to kind of be with people, we're sent with a message. Turn over to Luke chapter 24, page 1062, page 1062, and we read another of these great commission texts. This might be the earliest one. It takes place in Jerusalem. It's on the night of his resurrection. It's the only commission that spells out some content. And Jesus here says that we are on mission with a message. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. See the link there? This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer. Suffered his pain on the cross and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations it rolls straight into it straight from suffering and rising straight through to preaching and announcing repentance that means turn to God and forgiveness free forgiveness for sins so it's fundamental to the nature of the good news that those who don't know it should hear a message At the heart of the gospel mission is a message, a message that says repent. That means turn your whole life around in your tracks, away from the life you once lived and turn back to Jesus Christ and follow him wholeheartedly in faith, repentance, forgiveness. So mission is not just hanging out with people and being nice to them, although it involves that. A mission isn't even doing acts of mercy and social work, although that's important too. It is telling people a message. It is sharing some content about Jesus, and his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection and his ascension. So although our mission as a church must involve love for this city and its people, we mustn't merely stop at humanitarian love. There's a message. But we very easily forget it. Many who have gone before us have forgotten the gospel message. It is sometimes said that what one generation believes, a second generation assumes, and then the third generation forgets. In church history, the trajectory of movements is always to forget the good news. Again and again, we see that if movements and churches and people don't deliberately hold on to the message, they will forget it, and then they lose it. In 1904, the country of Wales experienced an outpouring of God's blessings so dramatic that it changed the nation, and it echoed around the world. It was known as the Welsh Revival. Thousands and thousands of people turned to Christ and had their lives gloriously transformed. Churches were packed. The whole culture was impacted. People were sent around, around the world with the, with the good news, the Welsh Revival. Yet within 100 years and less than that even, the country of Wales was the most secular nation in Europe. In 2011, there was a census carried out, and they found that nearly one-third of Welsh people said they had no religion at all. A friend of mine planted a church in one of the Welsh valleys on a tough council estate. He described the area and the country as a place of moral and spiritual darkness, where most church buildings were empty. What happened? They lost the message. So here's the challenge for us for you and me to live our lives in such a way that all of our friends and connections and contacts see us as loving, caring friends and friends who ultimately want to share a message about Jesus and the love and salvation that he brings. But you know, this message isn't just limited to our friends. Turn with me to the third of our commissions, the the one that's most famous. It's in Matthew chapter 28, and it's on page 1001. Here we see that this message, that we're sent with a message to all kinds of people. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. I love the fact that these people in verse 17, you know, these are the guys who know Jesus, they've been with him, they've been trained. They've been handpicked, they've been coached and encouraged, they've seen him die on a cross, they've, he's, he's raised from the dead, and even still, some doubted. Isn't that encouraging? Some doubted. So if you're one of those who's doubting here today, you're in the right place. Then Jesus came to them. This is the words he speaks to doubters, verse 18. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority, Jesus says, the Father has given to me, uh, all the authority in the universe Everything in heaven and on earth, that's the fullest extent you could, you could have. He's got all the authority. Jesus has given him the keys to the kingdom. And so, he says, now I'm commanding you, my followers, to go to all nations, to every corner of the earth. So when we say Jesus is Lord, it doesn't just mean that Jesus is Lord of my life. It means that Jesus is Lord of everyone. As you are going, he says, disciple all nations. The only command in this passage is that we make disciples, followers of Jesus. And around that command of making disciples are several other instructions that, that what the activity involves baptizing them, that means bringing them into the community of the church, teaching them, and going. Going. But the key thing in this passage that is often overlooked is to whom we go. Verse 19 go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. And the language underneath that is the language of ethnic groups. It's every ethnic group. Now, there are other words that Jesus could have used if he wanted to talk about geography, if he wanted to talk about going into every country in the world or every region, but he doesn't. He says, go to all peoples, all ethnic groups. His message and his commission is to go to every kind of person in the world. And this is a very, very important distinction. The people group job in this world is far from done. There are roughly 24,000 people People groups in the world, and several thousand of them have no Christians whatever. That's why Maxim said earlier on that we're, our primary focus, when we're funding mission work from the church, is for the unreached. These are the ones who, even if they wanted to, they never could hear about Jesus. Somebody needs to go to them, and there are over four thousand people groups that have a few Christians but no viable church. Of a small percentage of the population are Christians. So a very formidable task still remains 2,000 years later. What does that mean for us as a church? Not many of us here are probably going to be career missionaries, although hopefully some will. But it does mean that our mission as Grace Church is to reach all kinds of people and help them to hear about Jesus. And one of the beautiful things about living in Manchester is that the nations come here. The nations come here. 200 years ago, you'd have had to make a sea voyage of, two, of six months in order to get to India if you wanted to share the gospel with an Indian person or somebody from uh, Southeast Asia. But now, they live, on, they live in your street. They live next door to you. you. You can get involved in the Alexandria Library and meet people who could never hear about Jesus back in their home country. Maybe it's illegal, but they're there because they want to learn English on a Thursday night or a Friday night. And you could go and talk to them and show love to them and show the greatest love of all, which would be to tell them how they could be forgiven. The nations are coming here. This is why our church is structured the way it is. We're structured into small life groups, 10, 12, 15 adults plus children. And those groups try and be on mission together locally or they try and be on mission to reach a certain section of the city. One group partners with the um, I cafe and international student ministries in this city we don't feel we have to run it ourselves we can partner with them and serve them and pray for them and see people come to faith that way another group partners with the alexandria library different groups partner in different neighborhoods to try and reach their neighbors all the while praying Life groups, terrifically important in this mission. But beyond life groups, there are things that we can do as a whole church together that we can't do just as individuals or just as small groups. So we organize things like a big carol service, invitations. We have a group called the E-Team who try to organize events and make things happen so that you could invite your friends and contacts to. We have met this week. We've got a fantastic program set up for the next 12 months. Of events some for family some for men some for women some for the whole church some for different uh, different affinity groups all of this is structured so that we could be on mission to all kinds of people because we've been sent to them with a message now I don't know about you but when I hear that kind of thing part of me is a bit scared I'm not a natural evangelist I'm not strongly gifted like that I can be quite shy it's a great challenge. We could feel overwhelmed by it. But notice that Jesus never gives you a challenge without also giving you a promise. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He with you and will never forsake you. You don't go alone. Jesus doesn't give you a massive task and then walk away. He's always with us. And as we look at our fourth and final text, we'll be thinking about how he's with us, which is, in the power or by the power of the Holy Spirit. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. This is page 1093, page 1093. And here we see Jesus at work in his church through the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, these are his followers, It's just about to leave them. And they want to know, Lord, when are you going to come back? But He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after that, he left them. You see, we're very, very weak. We're so inadequate for the task of mission. Uh, we, We don't know what we're doing. We don't have all the right answers. We're very frail. But he is powerful. He's powerful. And we do whatever we do on mission by his power. These people, these few who gathered there, they went up scared into a room and they prayed their lives, they prayed their hearts out. They were so terrified. And they prayed until the Holy Spirit came, and he gave them boldness and courage, and they spoke. They did things and said things that they never would have thought were possible. Later on in the book of Acts, it says, somebody says, these are the men who have turned the world upside down. Because everybody was hearing about it, and thousands of people were coming and trusting Jesus had seen their lives transformed. Whole cities were being changed. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit who comes upon the church and on individuals and enables us to do far more than we could ask or imagine and enables us to do things that we couldn't do in our own power because he goes before us. And when he's at work, it, all goes, it can all seem so easy because he's the one that changes hearts and minds, not you. You don't have to do it alone. You couldn't do it alone. You wait for the Holy Spirit and pray. Pray for those around you that they will come to know Jesus through the word of God. So he says, wait, pray, and receive the Holy Spirit. When I was about 16 years old, I was doing my A-levels, the sixth form college, and I made friends with a guy He'd not come from a Christian background. His father was a Tamil Mauritian. His mother was an Irish Catholic background person. He had about 22 aunts and uncles and spread in every corner of the world. He was from a council estate, pretty rough part of our town. And he wasn't interested in Christianity. But we became friends and we started a band. He was a very good bass player. I started to pray for him. I think I prayed for him like I've prayed for almost nobody else. I prayed for him every day. I prayed with tears. Lord, would you save Jay? Then about a year, maybe a year and a bit later, our church held a mission. We had this great speaker came. I plucked up all my courage. I invited this guy Jay. We sat sort of ran in the middle there. And the preacher gave a a message. His name was Roger Carswell. He gave a a powerful message. At the end, it was all silent. I felt really awkward. He'd said, if anybody wants to pray a prayer and trust Jesus tonight, would you turn to the person you're with and do it? I was sitting there thinking, I wish he hadn't said that. It's so embarrassing. It's the first time the guy's been to church with me. My friend just turned to me and said, well, shall we do it? And then he fell off the seat. He prayed the prayer. I I didn't know what to say. Gloriously, gloriously changed. His father threw him out of the house. He was homeless for for a little while. He stayed with various friends. His father didn't speak to him for more than 10 years. He kept going. And through him, I've seen double-digit number of other people turn to Jesus. Through that one friend, uh, Sixth Form College. Same time we had a girl in our youth group, she was the quietest girl in the entire youth group, her name was Louise, Louise Algar she was, and she was just this girl who would blend into any crowd, you never would notice her, she wouldn't say boo to a goose, she was redhead, short hair, she was kind of a shy, quiet person, she must have invited every single girl in her class at school to the youth group, and many of them came. And many of them became Christians, and then some of their parents became Christians, and some of their brothers and sisters. Louise Algar, you would not even notice her in a room. She just was faithful, prayed, and asked people to things. Simple as that. I never saw any one person so effective as her. Teenage girl. When our first son was born, my wife was involved in a postnatal group, and there was a woman on that group called Michelle, Uh, Had a boy, same age as our son, and so we became friends. And my wife plucked up courage to ask her along to a course. It's called Christianity Explored. And so she came with her husband, who was a real likely lad, a real Londoner, a bit of a character. It's called Martin, a few years older than us. And Martin and Michelle came on the course. And at the end of the course, Michelle trusted Jesus Christ. Martin took a while longer. A few years later, he was a tough guy, worked on London Underground. He followed Jesus. Died last year, fifty years old, gloriously changed. It's the most unlikely person. Fifteen years ago, uh, if if I if we were in a family environment with my in-laws, and somebody mentioned the Bible, my mother-in-law would leave the room. She didn't want to hear it. She. Uh, she found it so awkward. I think it upset her. I think she, I think she felt that it would cause conflict if we started arguing. She just would walk away. 15 years ago, started praying for her, the most unlikely person. Now she's a Christian. She started following Jesus in her 60s. She is the most delightful young Christian. I've ever met. Do you know, by ourselves, we can do absolutely nothing, but by the power of the Spirit, anything is possible. We are sent with a message to all kinds of people in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what does this mean for our church? What does it mean for us to be grace in the city? It means that we've got to be centred on the gospel, the good news. Our chief aim is to be worshippers. The gospel draws us into real community with one another, but community is not an end in itself. It sends us out on mission together. So, friends, are you on mission with Jesus? Do you know you've been sent with a message to all kinds of people in the power of the Holy Spirit? Remember how you yourself came to know Christ. How long did it take? How many people were involved? How many links in the chain were there? How many prayers were said for you that you never heard? And finally you came into the light. Don't give up on those who you think will never change. You can do it because he can. Don't be afraid to speak. Trust Jesus. He has overcome the world. Don't despair. He can save anyone. Our God is Mighty to save. And the miracle is he chooses to use numpties like you and me. That word was numpties for those who have English as a second language. Some of you are thinking, well, I just don't have many opportunities, you know. Let Just think about the opportunities you have. There's you in the middle. And here's uh, your, on the left, your Friends. We've all got some friends. You know, your friends are your friends. They're not projects. Friends are there because you love them and care for them, and you're there for them whether or not they want to trust Jesus Christ. They're not a project to be kind of manipulated and persuaded and then either kept or dropped. They're friends. But if you love them, truly as friends, you'll want to share Jesus with them and pray for them. Uh, We all come into contact with strangers every day. We're travelling on a train, we're on the bus, we're standing in a queue. I'm not saying you have to force every conversation, but pray that the Lord will give you opportunities. We come from families. We have people that we meet at the shops. I got to know the guys who run our local shop, the devout Muslims. We talk about Christian things a lot because they're interested in religion. It doesn't bother them at all to talk about it. They think it's weird if you don't believe in God. Get that? I gave them a Bible. They really appreciated it. People in the shops, your neighbors, your children, or if you have children, your children's friends' parents. Being local. Some of you have got hobbies. You know, you're into playing games or you play sport or you crochet. I don't know what you do. Some of you like watching films, you know. Don't just do hobbies with your Christian mates. Invite other people in. And then, of course, there's your work. Now, we have to be careful here because we're at work to work and we have to do our job excellently for the glory of God. And there are times when some Christians are more interested in mission than work and they give the gospel a bad name. We don't want to do that. But there are opportunities at work. If people know you're a Christian, they watch you. They're interested. They want to see how, how you're different. They want to see how you live, how you speak, how you forgive other people, how you love them, how you're there for them. Your work is a great opportunity. You have many, many opportunities. In fact, if you look at it like this, your life is a whole web of connections. You're in contact with dozens, maybe hundreds of people every year. Will you pray? Lord, I know you sent me with a message to all kinds of people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God will use you. We started out today remembering the Titanic. Hundreds more could have been saved. But the reason why many were di- lost who, who could have been saved otherwise was that they, they did not believe that they were in real danger until it was too late. A locked gate separated the second and third class sections, preventing the escape of many lower class passengers. There were too few lifeboats and those in the lifeboats were afraid. So they hung back and waited until the screams had stopped before they came in. We don't want to be like that, do we, church? We don't want to be so afraid of what might happen or what might people think, that we never speak a word about Jesus Christ, and so some perish. We don't want to look at this great city and think there's far too few lifeboats. You know, that's why we're doing this endeavor in Chaltern, and pray God that that will be the first of many. So there'll be many, many more lifeboats all around this great city, reaching the people that we ourselves could never reach. We don't want to be a church that only reaches a certain class of person, certain kind of social class and ignores other classes of people like those ones who were locked down in the third class section. And we don't want to be a church that fails to believe that many people are in real danger of the wrath of God until it's too late. We want to be people who know we're sent. We're sent with a message, good news. We're sent to all kinds of people and we're sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll close with these words from the great uh, preacher of Victorian age, Charles Spurgeon. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that you are either trying to spread aboard the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Let's pray that we will be missionaries. Let's pray, shall we? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, said Jesus. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, Lord, you have given us such good news. You opened our eyes to see you. Uh, you, you. You shed your light abroad in our hearts. You sent your Holy Spirit, the comforter and advocate. And you plead with us now uh, before the Father. And we have been brought into a place of such great security and love. And we've been given a seat at your table and a place in your family. You've been so good to us. Help us never to forget that we're sent with a message to all kinds of people in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us not to be imposters. Help us not to be so self-absorbed and caught up with the business of our own lives that we forget the many people drowning all around us. Give us hearts that want to go and reach them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.